0: Well, I I love that song that we just sang, and um, it's powerful. At the same time, it's hard for me. Um, if I'm honest, uh, those of you who know me know that I'm not much of an embracer. Um, I'm, I'm not a big hugger. For that. We 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 have Frank on staff just for that role, um, and some of that is just growing up. That was not uh, not not one of the love languages we shared very much. Wasn't wasn't commonplace. And so the the idea of being embraced by Jesus is both exciting and uncomfortable for me. I mean I'm excited to be received in that way by my heavenly father. At the same time, you know, oh, you know, do we fist bump? You know, can we hide? Yeah. But it's just a, the intimacy that God wants with us is is just amazing. Um, we want to uh, thank you again uh, for joining us uh, online. We know that this is difficult. Um, people keep asking me, you know, Pastor Dave, when when are things? When are we going to be able to? When a, when is the church opening? And I just want to remind you, I'm not the one making these decisions. Uh, I have no no inside track. Governor Brown does not communicate with me. Um, And so, I don't know. Uh, It's scary, isn't it? We don't know how long. Rich talked about that. We don't don't know when that point is. And, uh, you know, there's a a large church in Atlanta. They have a little bit different uh, um, concerns being, you know, a church of several thousand. Uh, But they just announced last week that they are just suspending in-person church services for the rest of the year uh, so that they can focus on how they're going to get people connected without worrying about how they're going to get them back in a building. And so I don't, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I just want to thank you and I want to encourage you to keep pressing in and connecting the best that you can. Um, we love you and uh, we appreciate um, the things that you are doing, as as Rich mentioned earlier, um, we want to be praying for our youth that are heading out this afternoon on a missions trip. Um, I'm just, you know, just the difference. I, I was a youth pastor for ten years. I know. I saw Rich's office this morning that is just packed with incredible amounts of junk and junk food. That all this stuff that that goes into uh, camp, and I just the difference of being. Uh, a youth pastor and a senior pastor. He's getting in a, bunch, uh, a bus today with a bunch of kids, and I'm teeing off today at 318. So it's just a difference of, of life at this point in time. And, uh, but we want to be praying uh, for Rich and the leaders and the things that are going on, and we, we appreciate them. Um, You know, there's a lot of different things that are going on around here. And with the building being empty, we've tried to kind of fix some things up a little bit. You see the the wood thing behind me. What you can't see from the camera is that the cross is back center uh, here uh, in the church building. Remember, it used to be off to the side because we had a screen that came down and covered the cross, which we got in trouble four years ago. So then we moved the cross. Now we've moved the cross back in the center. And there's a large TV off to my right that you can't see that has the words and the sermon stuff on that. And I'm just sharing this. We're cleaning some things up. And sometimes uh, people say to me, Dave, you don't talk about finances enough. We are doing well. Uh, We could be doing better. Um, We're about 10% behind. And some of that is because we've had a lot of expenses. So I just wanted to put this out to you. If you feel led by the Spirit uh, to help your church out during the summer when things are getting a little bit tighter as they normally do, um, you know, you can give to, We had uh, a lot of COVID-19 expenses and you just want to write a check and say, I want to bless the church because God is leading you above and beyond your regular giving. We'll put that towards some of the expenses that we had for COVID, new cameras, sound stuff, different things like that. Or, you know, hey, Dave, keep fixing things up. Uh, you know, some of you have been in the church now and you're saying, it looked weird to have a TV just on one side. We can have a TV on the other side. It's about $2,000. So just, just, you know, write the check, we'll do it. So uh, some people have asked me, why did you put one on, on the side? Because they're not giving them away at Best Buy. That's why we only put one on one side. Uh, so there's just things, if you, if you feel led to just keep participating, uh, be faithful with your regular giving, we appreciate that. All right, kids, we have been doing a chart for the book of Jonah, and that chart has two key phrases in each chapter. This is the last week, and I told you we were giving you fish and worms, and we are. We have Swedish fish. Uh, For those that fill out the chart, uh, this is a little side note. This isn't really that important, but... um, my oldest daughter loves Swedish fish, but she buys them at Trader Joe's, and it's Trader Joe's brand. They're not allowed to use Swedish fish because that's copyrighted. So they're called Scandinavian swimmers. At, uh, I always thought that was funny. So we have Swedish fish and... Um, oh, almost made it to my pew. And gummy worms, okay? So worms and fish. Uh, fish, chapter two. Worms, those can stay down there. Anyway, I touched them, so you can't have those. But, kids, how do you get those? Your parents can just... Uh, uh, meet with Rich or I. Rich is going to, if you're dropping off your older, uh, you know, whatever, and you have fish and, and uh, worms, we have for you. Here's the next challenge parents, kids. No chart for the next sermon series. This is going to be a little bit harder. Uh, we are encouraging you, we're going to be going through the uh, Lord's Prayer. So we're encouraging you to memorize the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Prayer is found in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11. We're going with the Matthew chapter 6 view. Uh, verse, so you can memorize that. And then parents, what we want to do is have you uh, videotape you and your kids, or your kids, you and your kids, reciting that, and send that back to us. We'll put a little uh, video montage of our, of our students doing that, and we'll have a reward for that. So that's the next chart. But here we go, kids. Review real quick. Get into my sermon notes here. Uh, chapter one, you can't run from God. Remember, uh, we just talked about as Jonah gets this call from God to go and, and preach, he, he runs. And so what ends up happening is God comes after him and, and sends him in the right direction. So you can't run from God, Was chapter one, and in chapter one, you can't ignore your neighbor. Jonah's decisions impacted those in the boat. Chapter two, we began to talk about learning to die to self. That is, that we begin to see other people's needs, not just our own. And uh, that's a process that God is leading us all through. And then we looked at Jonah's prayer and uh, we said, any prayer is good prayer, but, but Jonah's prayer sometimes teaches us how not to pray or learning how not to pray. In chapter 3, uh, we talked about removing the log in your own eye. Jonah doesn't see the sin in uh, his native Israel, but he does see uh, the sin from uh, Nineveh. And so remove the log in our own eye. And then God is a God of second chances. Isn't that wonderful that God gives us second chances and third chances and fourth chances? And then chapter four, last week, we talked about mercy received should equal mercy given. That is, Jonah experienced God's mercy who saved him from the depth of the sea and uh, brought him out of that, and yet he doesn't want to show mercy to Nineveh. So mercy received should result in mercy given. And then the last one for chapter four, here we are uh, for today. God is pursuing you. Now, when I say that, that sounds a little intimidating. God is pursuing you. Um, In fact, the word uh, pursue could mean follow someone or something in order to catch or attack them. And so uh, God is not pursuing you to attack you. Uh, Another definition is is to chase after someone. And that's what God is doing. God is chasing after someone. Us in a positive way, and so we're going to be talking about that. And it comes from this. You get to the end of Jonah here, and we looked at it last week, and we're going to, you know, kind of dig into parts of it. But let's just kind of step back a little bit, and and we go, what do we do with the book of Jonah? And we ask the question this way: Who wrote the book of Jonah? Historically, it's believed that Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. And so the assumption is this after chapter four, sometime, Jonah repents again of his behavior and his attitude. And in that repentance, he writes down this story. And in that sense, you know, we go, oh, wow, this came to a positive end. Um, Another way of saying this is we don't know who wrote Jonah. Uh, There's other books of the Bible where people are telling. Somebody's story that wasn't theirs, and so somebody else could have written the book of Jonah, in which case maybe Jonah never did repent. And you know, I have painted kind of a more negative picture of Jonah. Some of you are going to call me on that. It's not the Jonah I grew up with. I don't know. I have to face this someday, right? I might be in heaven walking down the, 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 you know, the golden streets in heaven and run into Jonah, and he might go, oh, I'm surprised to see you here, Dave. You know, I don't know, okay? So at some point, I might have to repent of some of my, my leanings towards Jonah, but we don't know. He's painted as a fairly negative uh, character here in scripture. So, but what we do see is this. Chapter two, chapter one, Jonah is running from God. Chapter two, Jonah is at the verge of death and God rescues him. Chapter three, God gives Jonah a second chance to be on mission. And in chapter four, he is having a pity party, literally. And he is angry at God's mercy and God is still pursuing him towards repentance. Um, And I was thinking about this The passage, uh, a passage, a proverb came to mind. And when I was reviewing my notes this morning, parents, just so you know, that I realized I had the kids' chart and then this proverb, which really could lead to some interesting discussions later. So sorry about that. Here you go. Um, This is the proverb that came to mind Three things are too wonderful for me, four I do not understand. Now, by way of proverbs, just so you know, He's going to give you three examples, but his main point is number four. That's just how the Proverbs work, okay? Verse 19, this is from Proverbs 30, verses 18 and 19. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. The point of the Proverb is this. The amazing things a man will do when he is intoxicated by a woman in his pursuit of her. So the, the, some, the, 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 the writer of the Proverbs here goes, have you ever just pictured how an eagle is just, looks just flying through the, how does he, that's amazing. And then the, the snake on a rock. If you've ever just been hiking somewhere where there's just flat rocks, maybe at a, and you just see a snake go across, it's pretty, they have no feet. It's pretty amazing how they just kind of stick to that. And then a ship, think about the the bow of the ship just cutting into the ocean. It's amazing. And then he says, man, nothing like a man when he starts falling in love with a woman. And some of you have experienced, some of you had teenage boys, right? And you're sitting at the breakfast table and they come out and you look up and you go, Did you shower today? And yeah, so what? Wait a minute. As your eyes begin to water? Is that cologne you're wearing? My goodness. What's her name, right? You just, you know. And and so there's just something about the the changes that happen when when a guy is pursuing somebody he's interested. And and so you go, Dave, what, what are we doing here? Hold on. Who's the woman in Proverbs? The Proverbs plays off several plots that are going throughout the book. Uh, In verse 20, it says, and remember, Proverbs don't always connect, but in verse 20, it says, this is the way of the adulteress. She eats, wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. One of the things that's going on in Proverbs is the writers of Proverbs are contrasting pure love and false love. And so there's a contrast there. It's also a great reminder of how powerful the heart is, right? It's a warning to us, especially those of us with daughters. We say, whoa, 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 watch out for that guy, okay? I can see it in his eyes, okay? That cheap cologne is not fooling me, right? But third, when we look at, at Proverbs, we are seeing this lady wisdom we are seeing, and we've seen before as we've preached through Proverbs many years ago, how that, that, that character there could be Jesus Christ. We see a picture of God's love towards his people. The church, described as the bride of Christ, children. And so we're reminded of this amazing way that God pursues us. There's other examples in Scripture before we get to Proverbs I was thinking of this in our reading. This was a few weeks ago, I think, in Matthew. And in Matthew 44 and 45, it says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys the field. Okay, So this guy finds a treasure just out in this field somewhere and it's pretty good treasure. He doesn't want anybody else to find it, so he buries it, and then he goes by the whole land so that he owns that, okay? And, and Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. And so we typically think of that as when we find the kingdom of heaven. It's such a treasure that we sell the farm. We, we give everything we have to get it. But then the, the psalmist goes on, and he says, um, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went out and sold all that he had and bought. It's it's the same story over again, but now it's a pearl, less interesting to me. I'm not looking for any pearls. Anytime I'm in a field, I mean, I was a little boy, I there was maps, you know, the the X's. Like, I want to find the treasure, not that interested in pearls, but again, the same concept. And so there's another one that comes after this in verse 47. And it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered the fish. Here, the kingdom of God is going after the fish and catching it. And so... Some of the commentators have said, well, is this about God coming after us, as it is in verse 47, or us finding the treasure and coming to God? And those of you who know me know that I would probably say the answer is yes. He tells tells it two times. God comes after us, and when we find him, when he finds us, we sell everything, and we connect with him. And so what I'm trying to say is this. When we look at Jonah chapter four, when we look at this relationship that God has with Jonah and that God has with Nineveh, here's the main point. The story of Jonah and the storyline of the Bible is all about God's pursuit of his wayward children. And just like the proverb, it's just too wonderful to understand what measures God will go through. To get us. What a beautiful picture. So let's look at it in Jonah chapter 4. I'm going to read it again and we'll jump in. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What, what, What displeased Jonah exceedingly? We looked at this last week that God relented from the disaster he said he was going to bring. And he, Jonah, was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said? When I was yet in my country, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. He quotes Exodus 34, and what we looked at last week is that Jonah has a right orthodoxy, but he doesn't have a right orthopraxy or what he does with who God is, the character of God. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die Than to live. It's better for me to die than to see my enemies get your grace. And the Lord said, here's God pursuing of of Jonah. He doesn't just say, You wicked servant, you know, get out of here. He engages Jonah. Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, and he sat the east of the city and made a booth for himself there, and sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah and it might be shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. And Jonah is sitting in a desert. It is hot. Okay, you just don't. That just, it doesn't appeal to me. But Jonah is hoping that it's going to get hotter in Nineveh and he wants to watch it. So he's built a little tent for himself. It's not providing much shade. So God causes a big plant to grow up over him. It's really funny to me. Some of the commentators say, it must have been this kind of plant, or it could have been this kind of. Who cares what kind of plant it was? It's God, okay? I mean, he could use whatever plant he wants, but it grew up over Jonah and provided an extra layer of shade. And and he is finding some relief in this desert, this desert. And, and so he sees this, this shade plant that he did nothing. And uh, he is, he's appreciative of it. He likes it. And uh, it comes up over Jonah in verse uh, 6, that it might be a shade in his head to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm, not a gummy worm, just a worm, that attacked the plant. So the east wind and the sun beat down on his head, so jo- on jo- of Jonah so that he was faint. It's just hot. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Now he's upset about the plant. And he's a little bit of a drama queen. Okay, verse nine, but God said to Jonah, do you, well, do, you do well to be angry for the plant? Again, God is pursuing Jonah. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant. <coughs> Excuse me. Other translations. You have compassion for the plant, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. This thing, how, how you have so much compassion over a plant that lasted 24 hours? And here's the punchline. And should not I have compassion on Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 souls, persons, who do not know their right hand from the left and also much cattle. We see in the story of Jonah and the storyline of the Bible is all about God's pursuit of his wayward children. God's pursuit of Jonah, his wayward prophet, and God's pursuit of Nineveh, a a people that, that didn't know their right hand from the left. They're just an evil nation. An idol-worshipping, violent nation, yet God has compassion on them. So three things. God pursues us patiently, which we talked about last week. We're just going to review that real quick. God pursues us compassionately, and God pursues us generously. So from last week, uh, God pursues us patiently. God is being patient with Jonah. God is being patient with Nineveh. And so don't underestimate God's love for you. This is is what I said at the beginning. It's it's hard for me to picture God embracing me. Jesus embracing me. And part of that is just my personality. I, I, I long to hear those words from God, as many of you do. Well done, good and faithful servant. But I'm pretty hard on myself. And so I picture that being more like, you made it, Dave. Glad you're here. Let me point out a few things you could have done better. Okay, I'm I'm ready for it. But you know, that's not the way we treat our kids, is it? I mean, yeah, we want our kids to to grow. We want them to get better, but we just love them. We we love them. We're, We're excited to be around them. We're passionate about them. So don't underestimate God's love for you and don't underestimate God's patience towards you. And I, and I said last week that some of you just really struggle with that. You think that maybe you have reached a point in which God has is, is, is just kind of had enough, okay? And maybe you hear it from your parents, right? Maybe you had one of those parents that they were pretty like even keel, right? Just until, until, that point, right? You know the point, right? Like all of a sudden, like everything's fine. And all of a sudden, like mom's head explodes, right? And there's like just stuff coming out. And, and so you go, oh, there's no going back now, right? And so sometimes we picture God that way. Like, oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm going to kill you. Okay? That's not how God operates. He is patient towards you. And so let's think about this a little bit more in depth. Um, I think there's some some lessons that that we can learn from this. First of all, um, recognize the battle, recognize the battle that is going on within you. See, the great thing about being confronted is that Jonah is given the opportunity to think through his view of Nineveh. When God says, Do you do well to be angry? Okay, I said last week, here's where Jonah probably should have kept his mouth shut for a little bit and thought about it, but he doesn't. God is giving him an opportunity to recognize that there's a problem within him, and that problem is racism. It's hatred. It's the same thing that he's angry at Nineveh for. It's just in a different way. And so, we need to recognize that there's a battle that is going on within us. And I think uh, Galatians says it really well, Galatians chapter 5, but I say, walk in the Spirit, this is Paul speaking, and you will not glorify, listen, the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul says he's talking to believers here and he is saying there's a battle that's going on within you and they're opposing views and they're just going at it. And can we just recognize, look, you haven't overcome that. If you're still here, I don't care how old you are, I don't care how slow you're moving. If you are still here, that battle is going on within you. It's just, so don't, don't try to pretend that it's not. I know that we like to come to church and we like to pretend that we've got our act together, but we don't. And you know, it, it, here's, I, this is the only time you'll hear me use this one. You know how I know we don't have our act together? Because the Bible says so. Okay, I don't like using that one, but it does. Okay, so just recognize the battle that's going on within you. But listen, here's where we often stop. Also recognize the power that is within you. Yes, there is a battle that is going on, but Paul recognizes that there's something else that we have that other people don't have. And he says, but I say what? Walk in the Spirit. Where does that come from? That comes from when we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We become new creations. We are given a new heart and we are given the spirit of God that empowers us to say no to temptation. And so there's a battle going on, but you are not fighting the battle by pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. You are fighting the battle by saying, I need more of Jesus in my life. Fill me, saturate me with your love, empower me, change me, So we recognize a battle, we recognize a power, and in that, we recognize the newness, right? The battle was always there, but something new is happening in us because we have the Spirit. But I say, walk in the Spirit, okay? Not glorify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against. This is something new. You actually have new desires. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to change to glorify God. There's just so much in those few verses. And the good news is, is in the fall, we're doing a series on Galatians. So we'll get back to this. But um, we see in Jonah, there's a battle going on and he is giving into it. But in the New Testament, we have uh, have the power of the Holy Spirit and the newness of heart that helps us say no to these things. So don't underestimate God's love, God's patience. And don't underestimate his pursuit. God doesn't keep, doesn't stop going after you. And that's just a wonderful picture. And, and those of you who grew up in the church, um, myself included, uh, I just had a wrong view. And the wrong view goes like this. God created us in uh, the image of God. And uh, he put us in the garden. And uh, what we often miss in that story is that we were to be co-rulers with God. We were to to take his image and spread it out through the, and God is like entrusting us with all this stuff. And then he says, but don't eat of this tree, which always just seemed really weird to me. Like, I didn't fruit was not that tempting, but apparently it was to Adam and Eve. But what we learn, right, is what Adam and Eve are really tempted to do is not just eat of fruit, but to take control of defining what is good and bad on their own. Like, I want to be God. God has given me all this power to rule with him. I want to rule without him. I want to be my own person. I want to do it myself. And so Adam and Eve take that power and death enters in. Now, here's where I was confused. Like at that point, God says, get out. And I just, that's how I've always pictured it. You get out until you find, you come back here when you've got your act together. You come back to me when you've cleaned things up. You come back to me when you're sorry, you come back. That's not the story of the Bible. Because Adam and Eve sin, and what's the next story in the Bible? God's like, woohoo. Where did you guys go? I can't, I, I don't see you. Come out, come out, wherever you are. We're hiding. Why are you hiding? We're naked. Who told you you were naked? Does God know the answers to all these questions? What is he saying? Do you do well to be angry right now, Adam? He's pursuing him. He's pursuing her. What are you doing? And then God doesn't just say, get out. He does say, get out of the garden. But not before he says, I have an answer to this problem. I want to fix this. There's nothing you can do. But Eve, the seed that comes from you is going to crush the head of that serpent. And it's a promise that begins to bud and go throughout Scripture that we might understand who God is. God is a pursuing God. God pursues us compassionately. We looked at this word pity last week at the end uh, where the Lord says, you pity the plant. And uh, other, other translations have the word compassion. And uh, I think I might like that word better after looking at it a little bit. So let me just read this again, because pity sounds weird. Compassion sounds weird. So let me, let me just kind of describe it a little. Verse 19, he says, and the Lord said, you have compassion on the plant. You you pity the plant, which God says, you didn't plant it. You didn't make it grow. You didn't do anything. What does the word compassion there mean? Uh, The word compassion can mean attachment, right? We we have compassion to somebody or something. We have a love for it. We're attached to it. And God says, you got attached to that plant. (laughs) Yeah, provided shade. I really cared for it a great deal. That was nice. And then God says, why shouldn't I have attachment to 120,000 human beings and their cattle? And you see the play on there. So God pursues us because he has what we call in the Bible, his steadfast love. His loyal, committed, I am committed to you. Committed to you. Compassion is to grieve over someone or something, to have your heart broken, to weep for it. It's a deep compassion. And so we're reminded that God is committed, He has attachment to the growth of His children. He is saying, Jonah, you are thinking wrong. Do you do well to to be angry? And the answer is, no, you're probably right, God. I'm having a bad attitude here. But Jonah's still wrestling with it. Why is God wrestling with Jonah? Because he wants him to grow. He wants Jonah to change. He wants Jonah to have compassion for Nineveh. Okay, If he didn't, as soon as Jonah went outside the city and built, the, he could, that that same plant could have choked Jonah out if it wanted him to. God could do anything. But he says, let's, let's think through this again, Jonah. God is committed to the salvation of his children. When we look at Nineveh, we see God's pursuit of an evil nation and he wants them to be saved. And let me just say this, church, just, just real quickly. You know, we are committed to seeing people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We call that conversion, evangelism. We're committed to that. But unfortunately, the American evangelical church has been so focused on conversion, it has totally lost the concept of salvation. And so what has happened throughout our nation over the years is that we've invited people to raise their hand, sign a card, come forward, and receive Jesus Christ. And then we've gone, awesome, you're saved, go. And we are not committed to the growth of that child, that new life. And what's amazing to me is that God is equally committed to our growth not just our salvation. And this is what's wrong with Jonah being outside the city. He, his work was not done. Jonah, what are you doing? We're not done here yet. And so, listen, absolutely. Jesus is committed to the salvation of his ch- children, spiritually, eternal life. But also, he wants to see Nineveh turn from their evil ways. Salvation of the life that was wrong in the first place. You and I, we don't just need to get saved. We need to get discipled in who Jesus is and follow him with all of our life. Because God is pursuing us. Now think about it in this way, okay? Man, some of you, when you were dating, can you, some of you remember that? It was a long, long time ago. And you started thinking about marriage, okay? Maybe you started having the conversation, Hey, if we get married, you're not married yet, you know. Some of you have these conversations. How many, just, it's usually the girl asking the guy, how many kids do you want to have? The guy's like, uh, I don't know. And then usually the wife answers, here's the correct number of kids that we are going to have. And, and, and you know, I don't know. Maybe, I, I can honestly, I can remember Jenny and I having that conversation. True story, we're not married yet, we're dating seriously. We're having the kid conversation. And you know what we said? Well, I think we'd like to have two and adopt one. Here we are on the other side. Okay, you just have that conversation. Now, when we said that, we also recognized that it wasn't just having the kids, that we had to do something after we had them. If we just, if we just got, we had a kid, we're done. That's not parenting. No, any of us who are parents know that that's when it got difficult. Or some of you had trouble getting pregnant and you're like, yeah, I mean, I have a kid, but you're not done, right? You're you adopted and oh man, you got more work to do. It doesn't get any easier. The same is true with God. He doesn't say, oh, good, you're converted. We're done here. See you in 18 years when you can start giving to the church on a regular basis. No, he says, Let's get started with the hard stuff. Let's look at it a different way. Coming out of Egypt. Anybody who looks at the story of Israel coming out of Egypt, here's the truth. It was easier for God to get his people out of Egypt than it was to get Egypt out of the heart of his people. That's what the rest of Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Joshua are all about. God is committed to the growth and salvation of his children, and it doesn't stop there. Third, he is committed to the partnership of his children. Not only does he want to see people saved and people grow, but he wants to use us in that process. He wants to partner with us in that work. Lastly, and I'll speed up just a little bit here, God pursues us generously. And I've been saying this all through there, but Man, I'm telling you, after chapter three, after chapter three, after God pursuing Jonah in the boat, saving him through the whale, Jonah's prayer, or fish, excuse me, Jonah's prayer in the fish spit up on dry land, second opportunity to serve him, great evangelistic response, all these people getting saved. Chapter four, it would be really easy for God to say, oh gosh, I have had it with you, Jonah. But he is generous. And so he questions Jonah, and he ends with this, should not I have compassion on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 souls, persons who do not know their left hand from their right? He says, look, they're ignorant, Jonah. You should know better. And you know what? We're all ignorant. We're ignorant of God's character. We're ignorant of our real, of our character, of how much sin and depravity there really is within us. And if you're having any question about that sin or depravity, you might want to just turn on the news or look at Facebook for five minutes. And we're really ignorant to what's really at stake. You know what? This has nothing to do about coming to church and singing your favorite songs. It has nothing to do about a building or a denomination, a flavor. This has everything to do with people being separated eternally From a holy God. Why shouldn't you and I, God the Father, be committed to the 120,000 people, to millions of people who are ignorant of who God is? God pursues us even when we're ignorant, God pursues us even though we're sinners for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin can be defined as missing the mark, or it can be defined as a transgression, not where we just miss the mark, but where we transgress. We like go across that line that God has, has put. We transgress it, and we put a stake in the, in the other side and go, here I am. And, and we just, you know, I'm just, this is me, God. I'm on this side now. And you, God's like, oh, jeez. but we're reminded that God is also, we are being pursued by God, not just to save us, but to grow us. And then we're reminded that we're called because of that, because we're being pursued by God, that we're called to pursue other people. And here's the amazing thing that just came to me when I got to the end of the book of Jonah, and I'm looking at Jonah, and I'm looking at Nineveh, I just, this this moment of like, oh man, here's an amazing thing. We are both the mission of God, and the missionaries of God. At the same time, we are the mission. God is pursuing us like he's pursuing Jonah and saying, you got some wrong theology here. You need to change. You need to understand that I'm inviting you to be a part of my mission so that you can go make disciples. Isn't that amazing? At the same, you go, I don't know where I am in my growth process. I don't know if I'm ready to teach a class. I don't know if I'm ready to share Christ. Here's the point. Wherever you are, you are both the mission of God and missionaries of God. Isn't that amazing? The story of Jonah and the story of the Bible is all about God's pursuit of his wayward children, just like the proverb, it's just too wonderful to understand how God does it. So here's some application and action. Reflect on God's patience with you. Now, this might be a hard process. I'm I'm actually asking you to take some time to think back over your life where you knew about God, but you certainly weren't living for God. Those moments where you had been on track with God and then you got off track with God. And, you, and by God's grace, you're here and you just go, oh man, that was patient. When I was a kid, I've told this story before. I just It was one of those Just moments. Um, I was living in my grandparents' house, and uh, I was in the model phase as a young kid. You know, I would go up to the store, buy models, and put them together. I was not very good at it. Nobody ever really taught me how to do that, but I was putting those things together, and I had been given or gotten some blue spray paint that was going to be a part of this model Mustang that I was putting together. It's just amazing how I was just like that as a kid and still want that blue Mustang. But I had this blue spray paint, and I was working on that, and I had this huge, I don't know, it, as a kid, it was massive. This massive wood desk that had this glass cover on top of it that was just like, a, just all over. It was just huge, and you put pictures under the glass, and it was this massive desk, and I was looking for something that day. I don't remember what it was, but I was irritated. And um, I, I couldn't find it, and then something fell behind the desk, and I was like, Ugh! and i grabbed the desk and i pulled it out real quick and this spray can of blue paint which by the way didn't have the cap on it started swaying like this and in my mind i'm like oh no that could fall right and it's going to hit the wood it's going to hit the spray can on the wood floor and spray blue paint all this these thoughts it's amazing how fast your mind can go and so i had played this out in my mind real quickly so i Push the desk back real quick. In this just weird way, somehow I caught the spray can between the desk and the wall. As blue paint went all down the wall. Now things have slowed down a little bit. And I went through in my mind what just happened. And as a little kid, I went, nobody is going to believe that story. Who is going to, I don't even believe that just happened. So I remember finally mustering the strength to go into the living room and confess to my grandfather what had just happened. And he looked straight at me, (laughs) because I don't think he believed me, and he said, are you telling me the truth? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay. Never heard about it again. In fact, I came home from school a couple days later. The wall had been painted. That's patience. And it probably comes better, I, I look at that story and think if my kids had done that, I probably wouldn't have been as patient. He was a grandfather, right? He'd been through a few more things. But think about in life, when God was patient with you, when you got grace instead of discipline, when he waited for you. Take some time to really reflect on that. And then take time to praise God for the compassion he has shown you. Praise God that he is committed to just keep going after you. Maybe you do that in a, um, you know, just in your prayer. Maybe you do that in something that you share with other people. Maybe you write a little something. I don't know, but find a way to praise God for the compassion he has shown you. And then where we want to make sure that we don't follow Jonah in this this point is respond to God's generosity towards you by sharing it with other people. God's been merciful to you. You be merciful to other people. You know, I just want to remind you, church, I know that we're going through some hard times. I don't know when this is all going to end. um, But I, I want you to know this. Regardless of what's happening in the world, you are still God's mission because he loves you deeply and he is pursuing you. And regardless of what's going on in the world, he wants you to grow. He wants you to grow closer to him. He wants you to know him more intimately. And then not only does does God want you to grow, not only is he pursuing you for that, not only you are the mission, but you're also the missionary. You're called somehow in this time that we live in to still share Christ with others, to still be his hands and feet, to still share the love of Jesus with other people. Let's pray. God, thanks for uh, this morning, even though we are watching you in in maybe a a difficult way, uh, maybe we feel separated, maybe we feel alone, but we're reminded that you love us deeply, that you are pursuing us, that we might have relationship with you. We thank you for that. God, you are good. And uh, Lord, help us to lean into your goodness. But Lord, we we don't want to just sit there in your goodness. We don't want to just sit there and think, oh, we're so lucky. We want to receive your mercy and share it with others. And so God, my prayer is this, that in the midst of these difficult times, that you would show us as a church, that you would show us as families, as individuals, how we can be the hands and feet of God. Lord, we pray that your return would be soon, that you would set up your kingdom. But God, we want to take as many people with us as we can. So help us to be on mission. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.